0: Welcome to the space shovel podcast. This is episode eight today we are talking about hacking the colonial pipeline So this is pretty fresh in the news still um, A lot of folks probably remember it. I hope if you have a nice short-term memory um, But we'll get into an overview in a second I do want to say this is avian's official innovation podcast stick around to the end of this video and we'll talk more about avian and the company behind the space shovel podcast um, today I have Dan and Brayton with me. Of course, Dan is our VP for strategic, strategic Innovation, and Brayton is our Innovation Lead. So Brayton, go ahead and introduce yourself, a little bit of background, and what you do for the company.
1: So I was uh, nine years of rescue swimmer for the Navy. Uh, my entire background stems from tech. I started two tech companies when I was 21, held onto those for gaming and communication servers, went to college, did the Navy thing, uh, walked out with a computer forensics degree, and then came over here for Innovation Lead.
0: Yeah, so you, it, I'm guessing there's some cybersecurity stuff in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so just to give an overview of the event, um, in May, we're, are we still in May? What month is it? We are in we May. We're still, still in May for another few days. Uh, we, we, the Colonial Pipeline, was hacked by a group called DarkSide. Um, This happened May 7th when an employee found a ransom note on a control room computer. The pipeline stretches 5,500 miles, give or take some, I'm sure, um, up and down the East Coast and carries about 45% of the fuel used on the East Coast. So it actually travels from New Jersey um, down to like Houston, Texas, Uh, not directly down the coast, but kind of turning inwards. In the uh, first day of dark side taking over basically uh, the the pipeline. the CEO said yep we'll pay the ransom paid 4.4 million in Bitcoin currencies. We'll talk about Bitcoin on another episode um and there's some other stuff in there is there anything else any big points that I missed that you guys want to put in there? So it's kind of funny
1: because immediately following that, especially after they were blamed for it, they came out and apologized because they didn't know how devastating the effects were going to be apparently. Yes. Then they went on to say that they were not the originators, that they sold the tools to do so. Yes. And that they were very apologetic and they were going to pay some of the money back.
0: Yeah. A lot of the headlines that I was uh, in in those articles that I sent um, said that Darkseid is an apolitical group and they are planning to disperse after this... uh, attack. So we'll see what that means in the future. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is this potentially could have all been avoided. Um, there's apparently this cardinal rule of cybersecurity and cyber warfare where you don't tell the hackers when you know what they're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's one company. I won't name the company. You can do your research and figure it out really easily. There's one company that basically in January came out and said, we know how DarkSide is hacking people. Uh, this is exactly how they're doing it, which in return, DarkSide said, oh, well, we'll just switch hey, it thanks. up. thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that was an
2: interesting thing that I thought yeah. I would bring up. So, so Ian, let me jump in here for a second before we really dive into the, the, the ransomware and this. I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed in the internet because <laughs> I had an expectation that when all of the gas hoarding people started to hoard gas, that I would see somewhere a picture of the back of somebody's SUV that was half filled with gas tanks and half filled with toilet paper. <laughs> yes. I didn't see that. I, I was <laughs> hopeful that I would see that picture. I didn't see it. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk about innovation here.
0: <laughs> what if we could use the toilet paper to hold the gasoline somehow, maybe uh, the rolls. I
2: suppose you could, or just you would. If <laughs> I you get like super absorbent toilet paper, yes. it could then hold the gasoline for you. I saw trash bags, see, on, yes. like, grocery yep. grocery bags. bags. yeah, grocery store bags, yeah, right. Know, right. All of them. We all saw the ridiculousness of that. Yes, but I would have bet that somebody went and they hoarded their gas and went. Holy cow! Trucks aren't going to get gas. Yeah. I'm going to run out of toilet paper
0: and then went and bought toilet paper. I didn't see that. I'm a little bit disappointed. Right. And it's interesting, I guess. So this, to me, is no different supply chain wise. Not how it happened, but supply chain wise, this is no difference than, or no different than when the massive ship got stuck in Egypt. Uh, the, there was a supply chain that was affected, but people didn't go crazy because of that. Um, they went. Yes, it affected the, the overall global supply chain. But because this was immediate, oh crap! I might not yep. have gas next week. Yep. They were like rushing to the stores, raising gas prices, and and,
1: uh, and coverage has a lot to do with that too. Yeah. I mean, the the actual fuel shortage that was happening at the local level was panic buying. Mm-hmm. Right, and actually, it had very right.
2: little to do with actual supply. Yeah. Right, because they they were back up by Wednesday. Yep. Right. There's enough there's enough slack in the system to handle a, a couple of days or three days of okay. a pipeline being off. But when you drain the system. Well yes. that's a problem. right. <laughs> Again, I'm disappointed I did not see gas cans and toilet papers yep. in the back of somebody's f150. It would have
0: would <laughs> have been better to see that. So let's switch gears into into the innovation piece a little bit. Dan, you said you have some thoughts?
2: Right. so I did a little research um, and I learned that there is uh, something called something an uh, a company I guess called the Sands Institute, and they're one of the uh, big dogs when it comes to cybersecurity training okay. and they pump through about 40,000 people a year uh, for that. My guess is that they're going to have a little uptick in business. Yes. A- a- an immediate short-term uh, burble, and then uh, continuing. So I'm wondering how Avian could support that company. Back to sort of the main premise of this podcast is like, yeah, we're probably not going to be cybersecurity specialists but the training company you know, maybe they could use a little avian innovation from a training perspective to to figure out how to put more people through their pipeline. No pun intended, maybe, <laughs> and to, to put more people through their system uh, as they ramp up. Uh, so that was my initial thought of what can we do to help the Sands Institute yeah. train and and f- train train more folks. It's actually, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the training part of it because when
1: it comes to cyber vulnerability, the people are the weakest point. So when, it, specifically ransomware as well, um, the majority of the entrance is from somebody on the inside. Somebody interacted with something, somebody downloaded something, yeah. somebody did something. Social engineering has been proven to be about 98% effective against every network that they've ever tested it against. Yeah. And the only time it's failed is when the company is so small and so new and filled with a generation of people that understand it. That That's the only time it's ever failed because they've seen it and they've been conditioned to ignore it. But you look at a company that exceeds two, three hundred people, or even more. It only takes one.
0: Yep. And that's to drive that point home. That's why for companies like Avian, the government, uh, yep. the direct folks, um, we do cybersecurity training all the time. And by all the time, I mean like yep. at least once a month, maybe even more than once a month. We have internal tests to make sure that we are abiding by what we're learning. All kinds of stuff going on. Um, interesting thoughts about. Training, though, because, and you guys are relatively new to the company, so you may not know this, but we actually have a curriculum that has been built in the past to um, provide cybersecurity training to some of our customers. So maybe not as far off as one might think. Yeah, okay. Um, And I think for Avian specifically, that training, like I said, was provided to our customers. Most of them are government employees or the direct workforce, um, meaning other contractors. So I wonder, Brayton, your point about
2: social engineering and, and that being sort of the weakest link, I wonder if the Sands Institute incorporates, I'll call them advertising campaigns with their cybersecurity specialists that they train. That is, if they're training a cybersecurity specialist and they're training them in the techniques of cybersecurity Do they also train them in the ability to communicate to the company via videos and poster boards and other training material that will go some of the way, if not all the way, to preventing cybersecurity. So let's call it the soft skills of cybersecurity. It's a,
0: it's a communications plan basically.
2: Yeah. I wonder, uh, we should maybe look into that. It'd be, nobody else can do that. That's (laughs) it. it. We just, (laughs) that's our idea. It, yeah, that would be interested to
1: find out because SANS produces so many, so many white papers. I mean, SANS, the SANS Institute's become the standard in cybersecurity and awareness and they test things, they red team things, they pop out vulnerabilities left and right. They constantly, um, are, are the leaders in the field when it comes to that. But those are all in the weeds, very specific, able to find vulnerabilities and work those things out in cyber engineering. They they have all that down to a science. They're counterattacking. But do they have the, the social part of it where they go into a workforce and can educate well?
0: I'm not sure. Well, hmm. I guess the other question that pops in my head, so that is a, it seems to me, and Brayden, you could probably tell me, that seems like a very different attack than what happened yep. to the colonial pipeline whereas like like you said you someone would have to click on something or give some sort of information to yep. this group whereas the pipeline just got taken over but it got I, taken
2: over via via
0: an entry
2: some right. way somebody somebody got across the moat to get inside how did they get across the moat and and they're kind of keeping their lips sealed on that one right they're they're not going
1: public with that it's still under investigation all that stuff's happening Right. Somebody clicked
2: on you won $12 million and they clicked on that link. It's like, oh, I won $12 million.
1: When it comes to needing escalated (laughs) privileges that are specific to ransomware. So it's not
2: just like
1: looking at a computer. Most of the time that's physical access or somebody inside the network. Because what it needs to do is it needs to get inside and it needs to execute. And it needs to have the level of authority to execute. And then it has to spread. And from there it starts encrypting all their hard drives. It goes for Mm -hmm. the hard drives first. And it starts locking them out of their machines and starts putting up a payment address and says $4 million. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's how, so that I wouldn't doubt it if that still originated from inside. And it's just the colonial pipeline. I mean, how long did you say it was? Runs the entire East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just say it runs the entire East Coast. Uh, Thousands of employees with several levels of access. And like, to
2: give you an example, just takes one.
1: I, I got an email from Kevin yesterday that wasn't Kevin. Yeah when it came to that, so I get a message from our own CEO that you wasn't open
2: the emails from Kevin, <laughs> <Never mind. laughs>
1: just, just the ones that seem important. Yeah. Um, now, uh, yeah. And, and so I wouldn't doubt it with that many employees with one vector of access, the easiest way for ransomware is physical access. The second easiest way is social engineering. You go in through somebody's account and it could be as easy as, Hey, your password has expired. How many emails do we get to say our passwords expired? And then you go and you click on you know Dell Tech or you click right. on you know all that all the times you have to reset the passwords like and, once a month <laughs> and yeah. and you willingly click into it and you enter it in nobody looks at the header nobody right. looks at the address bar no nobody goes into the inspect page if it looks right people just start typing
2: yep yeah yeah that's a great, and that's a great point you know and I wonder if we'll ever find out exactly you know what pinhole they got through uh, the colonial uh, wall to get well, in there. Cause that's all it takes is a pinhole, right? Somebody they, will figure it out. To, like, if they, they announce it, maybe, yeah. maybe
0: not.
1: <laughs> we, we might hear from the Sands Institute. They yeah. do after, after action reports on that yeah. stuff, because
0: sure. then that stuff gets disseminated out to the community to prevent the next one. Yeah. So, yeah. So I do want to point out, I, I brought up the fact that in January, someone announced this, um, the way to basically combat combat dark side. Um, There were other groups going more, much more discreetly from business to business, helping them put up barriers so that Darkseid couldn't do what they did to Colonial. But as soon as that one company made this public announcement is when Darkseid was like, oh, now we got to kind of show, I guess they spent from January to May to figure out um, what their attack would be interesting that they say they're apolitical but what do they expect to happen if they attack a, a oil pipeline yep. uh, or gas pipeline
1: and and this might be one of the biggest events but when it comes to ransomware there's been over 2000 this year yeah uh, i mean just to give you an example and it's healthcare it's hospitals mm-hmm. it's patient information it's it's everywhere
2: yeah we also don't know when they started right when they started attacking Colonial, they may have been attacking it for a month or two months, trying to get that that lever, that wedge in there. Right. So we shouldn't presume that they started on the 6th of May and on the 7th of May is when it happened. It could have been the fourth email that somebody got saying, change your password or you want $12 million or whatever it is before somebody clicked it. Maybe it was even inadvertent. Who knows? Oh,
1: it, it takes time and effort. You map out the organization. You find out the leadership. You try to represent yourself as one of them. Then you try to represent yourself as one of the tools they use. I mean, there, there's a million ways
0: to do it. Yeah. And, and I think you could probably do better justice than I can. Can you quickly define what... Um, social engineering is for folks that might not know.
1: Right. So when you're looking at gaining access to a computer network, you're not looking at the network itself. You're looking at the people. The people have access. Mm-hmm. So all you need to do is is unwillingly turn one of them. Sometimes it's willingly. Somebody you met in a bar. Hey, here's a thumb drive. Plug it into your machine the next day. Yeah. It Sometimes it can be that simple. But most of the time, it's in the form of spam um, that doesn't get blocked out because it has a, a relatively legit sounding name or organization or anything else or it's a tool you use or It's your boss your boss sends you an email and you click into the header and find out it's not your boss It's some random gmail account Um, But they're all provoking you. Hey go to this website. Hey do this thing. Hey download this file Here's an attachment. I need you to look at. I mean a whole collection a myriad of things Um, And different people are vulnerable to different things.
0: Yeah, and and there's (laughs) interesting example, there's late night shows that they prove this on. So like, I I don't know if it's Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, one of the Jimmies, they'll send someone out in public and ask these like super personal questions and people will just give them the answers. And a lot of the time that's the information you need to piece a password together or um, figure out an account number or something like that. Oh no.
1: I mean, when I was 14, the thing to do would be to call McDonald's and ask them to actually just read out the numbers. Hey, I'm so-and-so from this security firm. <laughs> we got contracted by McDonald's. Hey, can you give me the number of your modem? Can we give it, you know, the access code that you right. use at your local terminal? Just making sure everything works okay. And next thing you know, they go ring up a Big
2: Mac at $2.5 million. Right. Hypothetically, this is what Brayton could have done. He didn't actually <laughs> do it when he was well, free. Brayton's what we call an ethical hacker. Right. <laughs> he didn't actually Sorry. What? do that. He, in fact, he doesn't even like Big Macs. Uh, but no, <laughs> or millions of uh, dollars.
1: <laughs> social engineering back in the day was picking up the phone, and, yeah, and that's yeah. still a technique this, today. Yeah, is um, yeah, yeah, you you would give somebody a call and present yourself as an investigator of any kind, and depending uh, on who you're talking to, they
0: don't ask questions. A car warranty person, yeah. perhaps. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, what else can we talk about here? Uh, oh, I know one point. So we have this other podcast called the Model Vision Podcast focused on model-based systems engineering, systems engineering uh, more specifically, or not more specifically, generally model-based systems engineering more specifically. The purpose of model-based systems engineering is to set up these like simulations and environments that you can run to make better decisions, save money, do all kinds of stuff. If you want to learn about that, you can watch the other podcast that we have called Model Vision. Um, the point of that is... Uh, when we were talking about some applications of MBSC in the real world, I brought up the same topic. Is there a possibility to apply MBSC efforts to the colonial pipeline in general and perhaps um, prevent things like this happening? Their answer because they're engineers and they have very yes or no answers was like, yeah, it could happen. But then I blew their brain a little bit with like, How could it happen? Um, Thoughts on applying? Do you know enough about MBSC to talk about that? Sort of.
2: Here's what I'll say. You can use MBSC as a tool to design and test the best and most elaborate cybersecurity solution possible. And then Brayton is going to (laughs) call and say, hey, I'd like to order a Big Mac. And somebody will (laughs) let... Somebody will let them in the door because the door, all the doors yep. have keys and yeah. somebody will be let in the door because somebody wants to give somebody a Big Mac, metaphorically, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. So it, it's back to the social engineering. You could build the... I'm trying to think of an analogy, but I kind (laughs) of like McDonald's and the Big Mac. You can make the best McDonald's around, but if the person making the Big Mac doesn't put on the special sauce, it's a bad
0: Big Mac. Right. And I guess I'm remembering what the point was in there. So say, yes, you get hacked. You're put up on this ransomware. You're not even hacked.
2: You know, I I guess in my mind, it's not getting hacked. Somebody let them in.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Somebody let them in. Somebody let them in. You're in trouble now. Now you take those pieces that led to that, put it in this MBSE simulation and figure out how to combat it. Uh, do you think that there's something there?
1: So designing designing the perfect system is always a thing in network architecture. What I'm seeing when it comes to stuff like this is they went into a total shutdown mode because they didn't also invest their money in cold backups. Yeah in hot sites that are ready to fire back up in isolating networks in and, and double double parallel. Um, and so there's also that there there's a CEOs believe in not properly funding IT departments constantly yeah. until something like this happens because uh-huh. they've existed for so long without an issue. Right. And so it's kind of one of those things where, like, the, the CEO approach is, I'm not going to replace a flat tire until it's flat. Right. The the IT networking approach is, I'm going to have a spare. we am going to roll over, going to put the spare on, the car's going to keep going. Um, very rarely are IT departments funded that way. When it comes to designing the network in isolation, MBSC can test all those things. Right. So if something were to go down, a computer is, you know, exploited. Um, there's a backup, there's a redundancy, right, network around it. There's isolation, mm-hmm. and and the spread of this thing blows my mind that singular incidences can amass millions of accounts or or massive levels hierarchy of access. Um because there's no network isolation, no real network isolation. Right. As a, as I mean, it's a critical infrastructure pipeline. Yeah.
0: Come on. Yeah. So I think. The biggest point here is people need to be trained. (laughs) Don't click on everything that you get in emails. Um, I guess, how? So I don't know about you, but when I get the emails that say, hey, you need to take this cybersecurity training, I'm like, oh, God, not another one. So how do we get people to want to be trained in this and, and realize that this could, by them not being trained, it could be leading the company to a 4.4 million Bitcoin payout?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Ian, and I don't know that we have the answer. Um, or that we uh, want to give it away. Yeah, or <laughs> that we want to give it away. But I think it it migrates towards not getting that reaction when that training comes. Right. So that training to date, the cybersecurity training, has been technical mostly and... and dry, and it causes people to, you know, sort of grumble about it. Making the training not that, making the training interesting to prevent as many social engineering incursions as possible will never be foolproof. And then I think as Brayton said, okay, given that you have an expectation of some level of social engineering incursion to make your network resilient and in a good posture for defense. Like if you have a football team and you have four down linemen that are playing football, you, know, you want to have seven guys that know what they're doing because right. if one of them goes down, you don't want to put your Absolutely. backup quarterback in. Yep. And yep. so there's a lot to Brayton's point about making your network resilient and tough to begin with. But when somebody when something happens, be ready when the S hits the fan. Right. And, and it, it will happen.
1: And some of it's a generational thing. I mean, we we have people out there that get exploited just because they're good, innocent, good-hearted, older people who just haven't been exposed to this kind of digital thing. They got their iPads. They click on links. They get one from Sherry. They think it's Sherry down the street. They click a link. Right. That, you know, that kind of thing, too. And then you have a generation that's pretty pretty cautious about it. They came up. They watched a lot of the exploits. They watched the hacking. They watched the incidents. And then you have a, a brand new generation of people who give all of their personal information away for free. Social media, lighting everything up just out in the open, and their entire digital footprints there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just there's it, it's interesting. They're all over the place. But to get that consensus where the average person is aware of the threats, I, I think it has to be more practical. I think it has to be in a way where if you red team your organization, you use that as an example. Uh, You, you demonstrate what happened, not theoretical, not PowerPoints. You actually show what happened. Right. Yeah. So, and I think that's a good starting point.
0: Yeah. And I like that idea where maybe showing what happened is literally using Dan Nega. Here's all the information we found on you just from you clicking on this link, which you thought was just changing your password in your timesheet system. Right. I, yeah. I mean, if, if people were just aware about the information that they're giving away for free,
1: right? Uh, just that little tidbit, if you were actually presented it to them, yeah. they'd probably look down their whole, you know, digital footprint and be like, oh, right. Crap. Like, yeah. okay, maybe I'm going to do less of this online. Okay. <laughs> right. Maybe I'm going to click less of these. Maybe I'm not going to look at these emails anymore. Uh, I think that's probably the most effective way to do it is just to show them how it happens. Yeah. And and powerpoints, I I'm so I'm such an advocate against powerpoints. <laughs> You'll learn that about me. But um, yeah, just use a practical example, scenario based. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And because theoretical only applies as far as like I, when I was a kid, and my dad told me the oven was hot. I didn't know what that meant until <laughs> right. I touched the oven and I yelled right. "hot," and that was my first word. And so, then went to
0: McDonald's. <laughs> All right. Do we have any last points that we want to make on this topic? Um, I'm tapped out. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Um, thank you both for joining me today. And on the next episode, we are talking about virtual tours. Another thing that is uh, big with Avian right now. Um, so we'll jump into that topic next time. But more specifically, how could augmented reality be put into this world of virtual tours? We'll talk about that next time. Thank you for joining us Hey, Space Shovel Watchers, thank you for taking the time to watch this video. If you have an extra second, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, stay up to date on the Work Awesome Network on everything that's going on. If you wanna learn more about the company behind the Work Awesome Network and behind the Space Shovel Podcast, jump over to avian.com, A-V-I-A-N.com to learn about the company, to learn about the work that we do, and, and just to get a little bit more background information on the type of company that we are. Again, thank you for taking the time to watch this video. If you want to stay up to date on everything going on in the Work Awesome Network. Please jump over to any social media site that you consume content on, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. We're basically on all of them under Work Awesome Network. That's the place to get the latest updates, the latest blog posts, the latest information on everything going on Work Awesome related. Now back to this episode.